Time to Shift is a podcast that aims to inform on energy and climate-related affairs with the intent to contribute to a low-carbon economy. My name is Hugo, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the key findings from the latest IPCC report on mitigation of climate change, which was published in April 2022. The report provides an updated assessment on how we, as a global society, are progressing with mitigating climate change and which technological solutions are available to bring worldwide emission reductions in line with the 1.5 degrees Celsius target. It also sheds new light on some of the social aspects of climate mitigation, such as how our individual consumption drives emissions growth. Before we start, if you feel that you need to freshen up your knowledge on what the previous IPCC reports have said, we recommend listening to our podcast episode on the IPCC's special report on the impacts of 1.5 degrees Celsius of global warming. This will bring you up to speed in no time on the basic drivers of climate change and help you understand the fundamental consequences for the environment and our society. You might notice that we haven't covered the second chapter of the IPCC report, focused on impacts, adaptation, and vulnerability yet. This is because we felt that the urgency to act prompted by the third chapter meant it should be prioritized. We will be publishing an episode on the second chapter soon though, so stay tuned for that. Here we are again. We're almost halfway to 2050, and another report on the state of climate change has been published by the IPCC, and without even opening it, we already know what it will tell us. Our efforts to stop global warming are not sufficient, not even close. Despite pandemics and growing alarms from scientists, we seem to be stuck in our hamster wheel of burning fossil fuels and over-consuming natural resources at a record speed that is making the dystopian scenarios of climate fiction movies seem scaringly realistic. So if you felt a little bit reluctant in the past few weeks to pick up this 60-page long summary for policymakers and embrace the dreaded reality check that awaits you, don't worry, you're not alone in this. It's a fully human reaction. And frankly, 2022 really could use some good news. Still, as shifters, we think it's important to face the uncomfortable facts and find concrete solutions to the climate emergency we're in. And we're here to help you do just that. So beyond bringing you up to speed on where emission levels stand today, we also want to focus on all the remaining possibilities that the IPCC report identifies to prevent an escalating global warming in this report. Because even if the future seems gloomy, there are still plenty of actions that each and every one of us can take which our future selves will be thankful for, be it changing our individual consumption or investing in the right technologies. So, with that being said, Let's start with a short recap on what the IPCC report says on the current emission trends. Part 1. Current Developments in Emission Trends We'll start with a little bit of context. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC for short, is the UN body that assesses science related to climate change. The IPCC's third working group, which consists of 270 scientists from 65 different countries, was given the task to examine how countries are progressing with their emission reduction efforts and whether they are on track to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius in comparison to pre-industrial levels by the end of this century. We will be discussing their latest report, published in April this year. The IPCC report leaves no room for interpretation on where we stand. It concludes that total net greenhouse gas emissions have continued to increase between 2010 and 2019. In fact, annual emissions reach a whopping 59 gigatons in 2019, which represents an increase of 12% compared to 2010. The last decade therefore ranks as the most emission-intensive one in human history, which frankly is a gold medal with no winners. 
So who is responsible for these increases in emission levels? If we break down emissions by the sectors where they were produced, we find the energy sector, industry, agriculture, forestry and land use, and transport on top of the list. Also, the IPCC says that as much as 70% of emissions can be attributed to urban areas. This is hardly surprising, as most cities today are still heavily dependent on infrastructure for transport, heating, or construction that runs with fossil fuels. In this context, it is also important to stress the difference between absolute emissions and the growth rate of emissions, in other words, how quickly emissions are increasing in comparison to previous years. For example, the IPCC report calculates that the global emission growth rate has on average slowed down from 2.1% to 1.3% when you compare the two previous decades. This can be explained by improvements in the energy sector, where carbon intensity has decreased thanks to switching from coal to gas, or by adapting more energy-efficient processes. However, for preventing excess greenhouse gases from entering our atmosphere and overheating our planet, it is the absolute emissions that count. And when calculating the overall effect, total emission reductions in some sectors are unfortunately still outweighed by the total increase of emissions in others. So overall, net emissions are still accumulating faster than ever in our atmosphere. Having all these numbers and statistics on emissions in front of us allows us to move on to the really interesting question. What chance does the IPCC report give us to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius by the end of the century? First, the IPCC report makes the estimation that about 500 gigatons remain in the carbon budget from 2020 onwards for the scenario of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius with a probability of only 50%. In other words, if we continue with our current annual emission level, which was 59 gigatons in 2019, then that carbon budget would be used up in less than 10 years. What is even more alarming is that without strengthening reduction policies beyond those that were in place in 2020, the median global warming is projected to reach 3.2 degrees by 2100. That is more than double of what we promised to achieve in 2015 when the Paris Agreement was concluded. Now, it is unlikely that current emission levels will stay the same for the next 20 to 30 years. Despite slow action, countries have nevertheless started to increase mitigation efforts and also made pledges in their so-called nationally determined contributions, the NDCs. By taking these intended future emission reductions into account, a more realistic prediction can be made on the probability of meeting the 1.5 degrees target. And here, the IPCC is very clear in its results. Even if all emission reductions announced under the NDCs were implemented, global emissions would still likely exceed 1.5 degrees in most scenarios. This is evidently bad news, and clearly shows the famous gap between political promise and scientific facts. Our current emission levels will not only significantly exceed the remaining carbon budget, but our intended efforts to reduce emissions in the future are also far below what is needed to achieve our promises under the Paris Agreement. Phew, that was the nasty part. Let's catch our breath before we then return to the challenges and risks ahead and shift our focus to the opportunities that the IPCC report identifies to avoid becoming a hothouse planet in the future. Part 2. Analysis of key highlights. Peaking emissions by 2025, carbon dioxide removal technologies, and social aspects of climate mitigation. Based on the latest scientific evidence presented by the IPCC report, 
we can conclude that the likelihood of limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius has on average declined, because greenhouse gas emissions have kept on rising, thereby pushing back the dates for reaching net zero emissions. While this is hardly a big surprise for devoted climate defenders that have been demonstrating on the streets against the inaction of governments, it nonetheless spells out, number by number, how our societies have been sleepwalking towards a self-made climate disaster for another decade. It is easy to become demotivated by disbelief in our joint ability to combat climate change. But we shifters refuse to accept that the battle is lost. And so should you. So for the following part, we have selected three key messages from the IPCC report that outline how we can still prevent the worst from happening, provided that we stop procrastinating and get down to business. Are you up for the challenge? Alright, here we go. The first and crystal clear message that we can take from the IPCC report is that if we phase out fossil fuels at a great pace, preferably already by the end of this decade, we still have a chance to meet the 1.5 degrees Celsius target. You might feel that this is one of those frequent arguments that are never going to happen, but ending fossil fuels is simply the most important one in the entire playbook of climate mitigation, and that's why it's necessary to repeat the message. So let's turn to the facts. In the model scenarios that limit warming to 1.5 degrees with a probability of 50% or more, the IPCC stresses that global carbon dioxide emissions would need to peak by 2025. Yes, you heard correctly, 2025, which gives us exactly three years to reverse and flatten current emission trends. The only feasible, and frankly speaking, the only possible way of doing this is to drastically reduce our consumption of fossil fuels. Exactly how crucial this is, is further highlighted by the estimation by the IPCC on the cumulative CO2 emissions associated with the continued use of fossil fuels. The IPCC projects that if historical operating patterns are maintained without additional abatement, CO2 emissions from fossil fuel infrastructure would emit, by the end of its lifetime, approximately 660 gigatons of CO2 equivalents which is already 25% more than the remaining total carbon budget for the 1.5 degrees scenario. If planned infrastructure projects using additional fossil fuels are included into these calculations, such as new coal power plants, the number goes even higher and the remaining budget is exhausted even faster. In any case, it basically means that the amount of fossil fuel we have locked into the system is already exceeding our future capacities. This is why leaving a large part of fossil fuels in the ground while at the same time accelerating the phase-out from existing infrastructure is absolutely necessary. There is no doubt on that. Now, we promised you some good news as well. As the IPCC report specifically targets climate mitigation options, it also speaks about the maturity and affordability of technological options for replacing coal, gas, and oil. In this context, it prominently showcases how the unit costs of several low-emission technologies have fallen continuously since 2010 and the numbers bring a much welcomed reason for cautious optimism. The cost of solar energy has fallen by 85%, for wind energy by 55%, and for batteries by 85%. This has increased the economic attractiveness of low emission energy sector transitions, such as renewable electrification, especially since technological storage solutions, such as hydrogen or batteries, are becoming more viable and cheaper towards 2030. In fact, the IPCC even predicts that maintaining emission-intensive systems may, in some regions and sectors, be more expensive than transitioning to low-emission systems. This statement is also true when looking at the overall economic benefit of limiting global warming to 2 degrees Celsius or below, which is reported to exceed the cost of mitigation efforts, 
mainly thanks to the cheap and large-scale development of solar and wind. Now we know that having a renewable energy system is technically possible and would also save households and governments money by reducing energy bills. However, is it really realistic to think that we can have an all-renewable energy system in place by 2030? Let's never say never, but it's rather likely that fossil fuels will remain in our energy systems for more than a decade, simply because building and deploying all those solar panels and wind turbines will take time. Until then, it is likely that emissions will not reduce quickly enough in the short term to reach net zero by 2050, which increases the likelihood of global warming temporarily rising above 1.5 degrees Celsius. This is what the IPCC calls the overshoot scenario. Essentially, these emission models project the use of carbon removal technologies for achieving negative emissions in the later half of the century, to bring back temperatures to 1.5 degrees Celsius or below. At first glance, this might not seem like such a dramatic thing. Some even argue that this is the most feasible way for us to manage global warming, since we can buy some more time for new low-carbon technologies to become more cost-efficient. But this brings us to the second takeaway message from the IPCC report. Reducing emissions today will be less expensive and less damaging for the climate than relying on carbon removal technologies to clean up our mess in the future. Even if the IPCC sees these carbon removal technologies as partially indispensable, the report also calls for caution. There are two arguments for this. The first risk is the technological feasibility. By betting on innovations like carbon capture and storage, or direct air capture, to achieve negative emissions in the future, basically functioning like big vacuum cleaners that suck out the excess carbon dioxide from our atmosphere, we will be completely dependent on these technologies to function properly. The problem is, these are for the most part expensive and unproven technologies on a large scale, and therefore a risky gamble for the future. Of course, there are also more natural strategies for carbon capturing, like afforestation, the opposite of deforestation, or soil management. However, these are more prone to natural disturbances that risk reversing the effect, such as forest fires, or sandy competition with land use for agriculture. So unfortunately, neither of these future options can offer the same certainty as reduction efforts today. The second risk is the negative climate impact. Even a small temperature overshoot that only lasts a couple of decades, which may seem negligible to us, could in fact have drastic impacts on fragile ecosystems and increase the risk of irreversible climate damage, such as accelerating the melting of ice caps. The IPCC overshoot scenario is therefore almost certain to have greater negative impacts on the environment and society than if it were avoided altogether. So before you invest your money in gigantic atmospheric vacuum cleaners, remember, less is more. So make sure that you first reduce your fossil fuel consumption as much as possible, using insulation for example, and then try to cover the remaining demand with solar panels on your roof or a heat pump in your basement. This will for sure be the safer, cheaper, and more reliable way for you to reduce your emissions. The third and last key message for today's episode is the encouraging one. By reducing and changing our personal consumption, we can become empowered citizens actively contributing to climate mitigation. The technical term that the IPCC uses for this category of reduction measures is demand-side mitigation, and basically includes all kinds of social and cultural choices that lead to a less carbon-intensive consumption and lifestyle. The classic examples are taking the bike instead of the car to go to work, or switching to a plant-based diet, and it is a topic close to the hearts of all shifters. 
We will soon be dedicating an entire episode to this, based on a study by Carbon4, which will be linked in the description for our really keen listeners. So stay tuned. And here, the IPCC is keen on stressing the major opportunity ahead. By simply changing certain social behaviors and consumption patterns, we can radically improve our chances of limiting global warming to acceptable levels. According to their estimations, demand-side measures and new ways of end-use service provision can reduce global greenhouse gas emissions in end-use sectors by 40 to 70% by 2050 compared to the baseline scenarios. Besides the examples already mentioned, walking or cycling more, and eating less meat, the IPCC highlights the significant positive impacts that reducing food waste, limiting indoor heating and cooling, increasing public transport, and reducing individual consumption will have on the climate. The report also stresses that it will be more important for individuals with high socioeconomic status to adopt these new behaviors, since this group is the one consuming and hence polluting the most. However, in order to nudge consumers in the right direction, the report refers to the need to have the right choice architecture in place. This is, or at least should be, the responsibility of governments. Taking the analogy of the carrot and the stick, having an appropriate choice architecture in place would mean that there are, on one hand, sufficient carrots to encourage eco-friendly behavior, and on the other hand, sticks to discourage daily carbon-intensive activities. Now, collectively changing these social norms and behaviors will not be easy. Humankind tends to be particularly fond of ingrown habits and rituals, but it's not impossible. Just think about how working from home for a significant part of the population during the COVID-19 pandemic went from being an unthinkable circumstance to the new normal in only a couple of months. More so, after discovering that we actually have more time for seeing our families, for the occasional yoga class during lunch, and have less stress thanks to less nerve-wracking commutes, many of us are now reluctant to give it up post-pandemic. From this perspective, it is not so hard to imagine that once we start adapting to a more sustainable, healthy lifestyle and discover all the benefits of it, we will come to realize it was the better option all along. At least we shifters strongly believe in this optimistic scenario, and we hope you do too. It's time to wrap up. In this episode, we discussed how the IPCC report inconveniently denounces the insufficient efforts by countries to reduce their emissions. We are currently heading towards a global warming of 3.2 degrees Celsius, which will make large parts of our beautiful Earth uninhabitable. And we only have three years to reverse this self-destructive trend. Even if climate policies are starting to generate results, emission reductions are not happening fast enough, and there is no future technology that will be able to fully reverse the damages done today. There is no way around that truth. Countries, companies, and citizens will need to make radical change and quickly exit fossil fuels to stay within the planetary boundaries. But we want to leave our listeners on a positive note, so here come the famous last words of this episode. We often say that we want to avoid the worst, and in the context of climate change, this corresponds to the highest amount of greenhouse gases accumulated in the atmosphere. This means that all and every one of your actions to reduce emissions are in fact avoiding the worst case. Your future self and the rest of the planet will live in a better world each time you make a decision, no matter how small, for the sake of the climate. The IPCC report underlines that, as citizens and consumers, we have much more power than we often think. And so we need much more encouragement to take individual action. If you've ever wanted to be part of something meaningful, we guarantee that getting involved in climate change mitigation will take that box. So, let's build a better future altogether. What are you waiting for? 
Google a vegetarian recipe. Take that rusty bike out and cycle somewhere. Go to a thrift store next time you need new clothes. Make your next phone or laptop a refurbished one. And remember why you're doing it. It matters. And that, if anything, is the silver lining of today's summary. This podcast was produced by The Shifters, volunteers supporting The Shift Project. The Shift Project is a French think tank advocating the shift to a post-carbon economy. Stay tuned for more Shift.